Hello there, woman beings, and welcome to another episode of the Woman Being Podcast. I'm here today with the lovely Kelly. Kelly Ann, I'm Emma, and we are joined today with Candace Johnson, who is a former senior pastor at Bethel Church here in Redding, California, and she is also a future slash in progress church planter of Studio Church in Greenville, South Carolina. So we're very excited to snag her here before she runs away. And um, uh, we're going to talk to her about all of that, about transition, about um, pastoring, about being a woman, and we're really stoked. So let's dive in. Welcome to the Woman Being Podcast community. Where we explore thoughts and opinions and have the freedom to change our minds without expectation or judgment. We will hold a safe space and support each other as we navigate together in the form of feminine. So Candace, hello. Hey, it's <laughs> good to be here with you ladies. Super exciting. Yeah, we're glad to have you. Um, so let's just jump into it. Let's go for the elephant in the room. You've been a pastor at Bethel for a long time now, um, and uh, you recently decided to leave. You're starting this new church in Greenville, so maybe could you just tell us about it a little bit? <laughs> yeah, I mean, we've been in great transition, and um, you know, we're all there's always transitions in life. It's part of how God made us that we grow from one stage to another in seasons, and. Um, you think that we'd be better at this by now. <laughs> but this one's definitely a big transition. And the yeah. fact that, you know, we've been pastoring Bethel for 10 years, almost 10 years, uh, but we've been here a total of 18 years. Wow. And um, we didn't see anything else in our future. Like we were here, like we planted trees for our grandchildren on our property. Um, there was just nothing else in our future. And then yeah. we just really felt like God starting to sh- shake things up in the last year. Enough to where in September we, um, I felt permission, like the Lord, I felt permission to transition. And that mm. was just so weird and foreign and almost felt wrong <laughs> because I don't, I, where are we transitioning to was yeah. really the thing. Uh, to the point where I would get a map out when I knew I'm like, we're not supposed to stay here. Like we both agree, we're not supposed to stay here. And we hadn't really said anything yet. But like, what would we do besides this? Yeah. Like, this is what we give all to. I mean, if you slice me open, I'd probably bleed out something called Bethel you know? <laughs> <laughs> or Redding. I don't know what it looks like. Like, but that's what would be, be the smell and the fragrance inside of my heart. And yeah. um, just it was, it's been a big process, really, mm-hmm. to, to surrender to the Lord and, and to grieve as well. It, yeah. It's grieving what we loved, what we said yes to, and even the vision and the future that we had in our heart, mm-hmm. um, along with those grandkids' trees. Like, I'm like, oh, we planted an orchard because they're going to help me pick stuff. And, yeah. and you're going to climb in these trees. And you just thought it would all happen here, but stuff has changed. So Mm -hmm. just transition. And at the same time, I love adventure. I'm actually quite a spontaneous person. Um, And the idea of moving forward into the unknown is kind of exciting. I mean, it it can be scary. Unknowns like, where are we going to live? I don't know. (laughs) Where's your next paycheck coming from? I don't know. (laughs) But but I only know God to be faithful. So it's really been an exciting journey. We have felt all the fills and give ourselves permission and taken time. Took a three month sabbatical, which was awesome, mm-hmm. and super thankful to have the time to rest, heal, dream, and then start just looking forward to the future. And yes, it is Greenville, South Carolina. Ooh. It's pretty exciting. 
So how did you choose Greenville then? Oh yeah, choices. It was definitely a process. We went on this. So first of all, we we were looking at there was a map in United Sends magazines, and then you have the fold out map. And I love the world. I love geography. I love cultures and countries and locations. And uh, I remember pulling out the map and looking. One side is the U.S. The other side is the world. And going, Lord. Where is our next home? Like, this is a really big thing. And I love so much of the things that are on this page. And um, so we just praying and researching. And Eric felt drawn to Tennessee and the Carolinas over there somewhere. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, I'd been to Nashville once. Mm -hmm. That's it. (laughs) And um, I'd never been to the Carolinas. And neither had Eric. So it was funny to feel drawn to the Carolinas. One thing we do is we love a lot of people from the Carolinas, um, but that's about it. And so in January, uh, Eric was speaking at a church in Nashville, and and then we decided, why don't we just take kind of a trip, a prayer journey trip, scouting trip from Nashville, and we'll drive around the Carolinas and Mm -hmm. uh, through the north, through the south. And we had pinpointed a couple cities, so we drove through them, and it was really fun. We just, you know, just the two of us kind of adventuring around, checking things out. But it was weird to go checking things out because we might live here. It's so (laughs) different. Um, And there was one city, was Greenville, that really stuck out to us. If you've been to Greenville, it's a city that um, you can feel the heart of the city. You can feel the vision. You can feel the leadership that has come before. They do a really good job of telling the story of leaders that have invested in the city. And you can feel the future of it. Mm-hmm. And um, and it was it was provoking. It was exciting. And enough to where it turned our head like, is there a bush burning over there? <laughs> um, <laughs> let's wait. Is there something here? So we yeah. took some time to really pray about it a lot more. And we went back again. I remember going back in the end of February, beginning of March, and going, I, Lord, on this trip, let us like either this be a clear yes or a clear no, because we need to. We it feels like it's appropriate time to m- getting closer to making a decision because we were living in floaty land for quite a while yeah. by that time. And um, we went back, and I felt Bill, Eric, and I both felt more invited into like one. This is a silly, completely Candace thing. Is I love Latin people. I love Spanish-speaking places, people, country. That's where I actually always wanted to live. I was going to live in Central America or South America. I could choose Spain. I mean, I'm just <laughs> in love. And um, so it was always a funny thing that God put me in Reading. Yeah. It was this mm-hmm. thing that I got to work with through like with the hardly Lord. Hardly any. Like, yeah, <laughs> Lord, There's some. <laughs> why would you give me this heart and put me here? Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's all good. God's been super faithful, and um, and I've, I've loved the journey. And then going to the idea of thinking of Greenville, I look at all the statistics and the ethnic um, diversity there, and it was saying, you know, Hispanic or Latin was a very small percent. And I'm like, God, why would you, why would it be there next? I mean, you know who I am. And, um, and we get there, and it's funny, we pass so many people speaking Spanish. I was like, oh, wait. Are they speaking Spanish? Are they speaking Spanish? There's just really just cool things that may, that are important to me that but spark joy inside of me. Mm-hmm. And um, there, God just kept speaking to us through so many things, and not not just the Latin, but just even the vision and the heart. And um, we've had so much favor with people too, and pastors. It's uh, kind of undoing. Like, mm-hmm. gosh, what are you doing, God, and why us? So we're excited to be moving forward to Greenville. That's amazing. So, okay, tell me. Because this is a lot, right? Like, you've been in the Bethel world for so long. Yeah. You've loved the people. You have family here. You've yeah. been established. Like, what was that like? Like, I mean, I know, I remember I, I made a decision a couple years ago to, like, leave the missions field. And it was, like, yeah. 
tearing out a part of my heart, like feeling like, oh, how could I possibly do this? Like, so, so what was that like inner process like for you guys in deciding, okay, we're going to transition to something new? Tearing is a good word. <laughs> <laughs> I, there were a lot of tears. I remember at first, the, the first night, it was in September, I, we were hosting week, uh, Wednesday midweek uh, kind of services when because of COVID, they were just online. And ta- I'd invited Tom and Leslie to help lead the service. It was kind of worship and prayer combination. And I'm just sitting in the room just kind of praying. I don't think I was doing anything on stage except for hosting the whole night. And at one point, that was the night I felt like the Lord said, like he gave me permission like to transition. And I had been asking questions. And I just remember crying. And there was just so much grief. Like, I, am I really doing this, God? Are we really doing this? Mm-hmm. And that was the first emotion, just sadness. Mm-hmm. And um, see, so it just makes me emotional even <laughs> now. Yeah. When you love something and give your whole heart to something. Yeah. Um, and so, yes, a lot of grieving in the midst as well. Like, I, you just know, like, I, I'm not supposed to be here anymore. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. as you step forward and, and you step into that and you accept it, there would be like a, a waves of um, acknowledging something and then having it be like tearing. Mm-hmm. And you go through the process of sad, sadness, anger, confusion. Like, why would you do this, God? I thought there was a vision in the future. And you partner with that. And then when he changes it, you kind of you acknowledge that. You feel it. And then after like, there'd be like four days when a new thing would come. And then there'd be like a level of acceptance, like, mm. and God, and I trust you more than any of this stuff. Like mm-hmm. I would lay it down to you and then it would just get to a little bit more peace and then you move on and then something else would happen <laughs> and it just different things would trigger. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so it's been quite a journey and quite a ride because mm-hmm. um, there is such history. Yeah. And at the same time, there's so much excitement. Right. Because yeah. God is faithful. Like, I didn't even choose Reading. That's the funny thing in all of this, guys, is I didn't even want to move here. <laughs> we lived in Santa Cruz, and we were supposed to move to Mexico when we got married. And, like, a month before we got married, Eric shifted and said, actually, I want. I think we're supposed to be in Reading for a period. And I'm like, really? Are you? Oh, man, I know I want to marry you, but, like, Reading? <laughs> um, that is such a different space than where we were going. Yeah. And um, and God's been faithful. He's taking care of me, taking care of my heart, and it's a place that I've come to dearly love. So it's actually kind of funny that I'm the one that – actually, we were both. But I am going, I love this place. I love these people. <laughs> and it's just funny what God does. Mm-hmm. But it just makes me trust him more. Yeah, like if he, sure. he can make Reading home. He can make anywhere home because yeah. that's just – he's our home. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. I love that. I It's interesting. I feel like I've been – thinking about grief a lot lately and just like the the process of grief, what it looks like, what it means. And um, one of the things that I feel like God's been teaching me a lot about grief is how it's in a lot of ways, it's actually a good thing. I think we think of grief as being really negative and like, oh, this is bad. I shouldn't be feeling this. Mm-hmm. But like grief is, is actually indicative that you've loved something so much yeah. that it's worth grieving, mm-hmm. you know? And so just because there's transition, just because something is gone and is not a, a part of your life anymore, or, I mean, that will always be part of, of your course. life. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like your father-in-law is Bill yeah. Johnson. <laughs> so it's impossible. But like the fact that you're grieving it and like feeling so much emotion around it just shows how, how much you value it. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't mean that it's what you still need to be at, you know? And so 
I think that's super powerful. That is really legit. And I do see a lot of us shy away from strong emotions like anger, sadness, grief. Mm -hmm. Um, But yet they actually serve a purpose. Mm -hmm. And that's been a big, even for my husband, um, Eric, went through a really hard emotional season two years ago where um, what actually got revealed to him is um, he was just giving the good Christian and the good son answers Mm -hmm. to situations. And instead of acknowledging what was real, he was just shoving down the answers, shoving mm-hmm. down what was really yeah. going on because it didn't look uh, like he thought it was supposed to. Um, and the biggest emotions were sadness and anger. Mm-hmm. Like, no, you're not supposed to be angry. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, well, no, we don't want to. We don't want to go to bed that way when the sun goes down. But that is part. Like, that's usually uh, indicates something else. Mm-hmm. Like, why? Why is there anger? And yeah. um, what do you do with that? Do you allow yourself to feel it? Mm-hmm. And so uh, we've really tried to be very intentional, just to give ourselves permission to go through everything yeah. and mm-hmm. feel it, and to invite God into it. We have to acknowledge it. Yeah. And so to try and pretend that it's not there doesn't make it go away. That's true. (laughs) And like on that note, what has it looked like? I mean, you've been here. I've been here eight, almost nine years. You've been here forever. That's a long time. (laughs) I know. I'm like, dear God, how did this happen? (laughs) It's okay though, Um, because a lot of people, you know, it's the running way. You end up here, and then you're like, I'm still here. Um, But so I understand like how much you've loved the community and how well you have led. Truly, like. I, I mean, even though we haven't had a personal relationship, but like looking at you and Eric, how much you have fiercely gone after the community and connection and mm-hmm. reconciliation. I mean, the list goes on. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, how have you created space to process the pain, to process the grief? Like you kind of talked about like really like creating like space and ability for that. But I'm like, what has that looked like? Because that feels like a lot. Yeah, creating space to process has been a really big thing. Um, when we transitioned out, I just knew we were supposed to leave really well. Mm-hmm. And so we it was all a lot more about the grieving, like I had mentioned in the first part. So we made the decision in September mm-hmm. and then started talking to Bill and some of the leaders at the end of September. But we didn't tell the church, we didn't announce it till the weekend before Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. So during that time, it was a lot of private processing and then within small groups because processing is an, an, you know, it's a personal thing, but then we're all so much connected and um, how we relate to one another affects so much. Like, what does my heart really care about is, of course, the Lord, but it's also what are you grieving is the people that you love. I'm like, can I just put you in my pocket and take you wherever I'm supposed to go? And life just yeah. doesn't work like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so obviously acknowledging it was a really big thing. And, um, and then giving space, like you'd mentioned, having conversations. Eric and I have talked way too much about all of this. That's what a lot of our time has been, you know, like, how are you doing? What are you feeling today? I'm like, gosh, we talk about that every day, all the time. Uh, Because it's changing and it's so, um, it's so much affecting who we are. Mm -hmm. Um, And then during the sabbatical, we really protected hard that we weren't supposed to be uh, building during that time Mm -hmm. that much. We weren't supposed to be um, out just being too busy. We were, it was a time to process and to rest. And um, I realized in life where I'm usually pretty busy, I'm very driven. I know what I'm usually going, I know where I want to go. And these are the steps we're going to get there. And vision is energizing. Vision like can take you so far. Um, But also 
not vision, but busyness, doing things, which can be good. They can also be distracting and allow us to not actually deal with what is because we're busy doing. And it felt really important during sabbatical that we weren't supposed to do that. So we intentionally be like, wow, what are you, what are you going to do this week? We don't have any really big plans. Mm-hmm. And, and we would play rest. Eric played a lot of golf. We'd do a lot of bike riding. We'd fix up uh, our house a little bit because we knew we'd probably be moving, but we didn't really know. And then one of the things that was the most significant as far as processing in space is we opted to go to Alabama to a friend's lake house on Lake Martin for three weeks. And then that choice even made me a little nervous because Eric and I found cheap tickets to Costa Rica, mm, Central America. Why wouldn't you go there? Please. And, um, and I'm like, we could go there and hang out and, and do stuff. And But I am also kind of a travel junkie like enthusiast so I'm the one that whenever we go somewhere to a new place I'm like researching all the blogs all where the locals are yeah. and then I'm like we're gonna do, 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 do one two three four five six seven like how many miles have you walked so it's um, yeah. usually a lot and I thought what are we gonna do in Alabama and he goes I think it'll be just good for us to be there mm-hmm. we won't and there's not a lot around that area and um, we were there for three weeks and there was not a lot around that area. <laughs> There's a road yeah. that goes to the house, and we would take walks on that road. You could drive like 20 minutes away and go to this other area that had trails. And um, there was a lake. That's about and it. And <laughs> there was a hot tub that we could nice. do in the morning and at night. And, yeah. and we just hung out. And it really caused us to have to face God. Yeah. Caused us to have to face ourselves. Uh, caused us to have to face each other. And it was good it was and there was a lot of sadness there were days where we were like i'm angry i'm angry about how this even took place there were things there were people Mm. and we would be walking and being like oh it just feels so wrong unjust Mm. unjust Mm. and um going like well what where's god in it like what 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 are you feeling and then what is the lord saying and what does love really look like Mm. i remember one conversation eric and i had we're walking he goes i'm just so angry I can't believe, you know, and there's just circumstances. And I'm like, isn't it interesting that Jesus, even when he's dying on the cross and so much unjust stuff has happened to him, and he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I'm like, wow, what does love actually look like? I think we're getting an opportunity to walk into different levels of forgiveness and love, to the ability to forgive and to let go and to release. Sometimes we don't even have closure. So we've just had to go through some really deep things internally for us. And it's been good. And we need the space and the place to do that. So um, Alabama was a great time for us to go into the deep bottom of the ocean for Eric and Candace of our souls and our hearts. I love that. Sounds like a lot of self-care. A lot of much needed self-care. Yeah. Well, and I think of like when I made the decision to leave the missions field, um, to go work for a church. Like, it was like, you know, I mean, you're doing the same thing. You're like yeah. going from one amazing mission to another. Yeah. And that's beautiful. But for me, the processing was like, I had said yes to this call. Mm-hmm. And in my mind, like, God had sent me on this trajectory. Mm-hmm. And to separate me being on that trajectory from holiness was really, really hard. I was like, how could I possibly pull away from like this amazing call and still like be under your wing Mm. how could you like how could you bless something like this and learning to trust like okay the peace has left and I need to follow the peace Mm -hmm. my husband was telling me like 
forever. Like, all right, we got to move on, you know? And it was like, and it was hard because there were hard things. And like, it was like, oh, okay, this actually isn't the place for me. And I have to like trust that like God is going to be with me no matter how like sanctified my occupation appears or, or whatever. And, and, and that was, I mean, I'm still processing. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm sure like, you know, it's like a journey of like learning to, to trust that God is right there wherever you are. Yeah. And yeah, that's a, it's a ride. You're saying a lot of those big words. You say trust a lot. (laughs) Trust is a really big thing. And we know to trust the Lord. It's funny. When I started uh, reading this year intentionally in the Bible, I'm like, I'm going to go through, start with the Psalms again. I'll start in Genesis, start with the Psalms, and start in the New Testament, just a little each day. And this time when I read the Psalms, I I decided I'm going to trust, I'm going to circle every time I see the word trust. Put Mm. your trust in God. Those who trust in the Lord. And just to highlight, I'm like, I think I'm supposed to really be aware of how much we're so we're called to trust in God and what are the benefits of trusting in God, mm-hmm. and um, it's a big thing. It's one it's one of those things that are easy to say, another thing to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that's what sure. the journey has looked like. A lot of trusting, <laughs> a lot of trusting. Yeah, yeah. I think I'm. It's like a lifelong journey, yeah. <laughs> trusting the Lord. <laughs> um, so switching gears a little bit, Candice, you, um, in addition to just like fostering community in the city of Reading and within the Bethel community congregation. Um, You've been a huge champion for women. And so I was curious, where is my question? (laughs) Okay. And so I was curious, what does it mean to be a woman in leadership to you? And can you tell us about the strengths you bring as a female leader? Yeah, being um, a woman in leadership. First of all, I love leadership. I think um, it's a a complete privilege and honor to be able to set people up for success, to champion people, and um, to see them step into who God has called them to be. And I believe that it takes good leaders to do that. Mm -hmm. And so it's something I'm very passionate about. And um, being a woman leader, I mean, we're all... We all carry the Lord's glory. And that's something I love about humanity. I love the uniqueness of humanity, whether you're talking man, woman, someone who's young, someone who's old, someone who comes from a warm culture, a cold culture, um, just uh, an extrovert, an introvert, that we all carry aspects of the Lord. And I love making space for that. And I love people... I love people stepping in and showing up as well. um, Because the more... If I want to set people up for success... The more that I can honor all the different types of humanity, which are the image of God, Mm -hmm. then I'm setting more people. I'm loving on people even more. And so that is something that I've tried. I've I've really aimed to do. And I'm a person who loves balance as well. I don't think that this is necessarily balance, but it's um, I just feel loved and I feel more whole when I experience uh, more diversity and in the church. There are Bethel is wonderful in the sense that they have our leaders have intentionally chosen to champion women, and I'm really thankful for that. Um, at the same time, I believe that um, I've experienced just the history and the norm normalcy of normalcy of uh, males being the the leaders of the church. You know, the man is the head, yeah. and um, and I, and I believe that. But then, what does that mean for being a woman? And then. Um, it's probably one of the first times in my life that I kind of hit that spot that um, 
I am a woman that actually, I, I feel like I'm gifted in leadership. I, I feel I, I'm, I have a desire for it and I care about it, but there is a gift on my life. And it's the first time I think I've ran into as a woman that uh, you can only go so far potentially because you're a woman. I'm like, oh, I've never realized that that was a hindrance. And mm -hmm. um, in the church, it wasn't, I don't think it's because anyone didn't believe that women could, I'm saying this because I'm still, you know, I can't judge people's hearts. I'm not sure where they're at. Um, and I don't know that it does helps anything anyways. <laughs> um, but uh, you could just tell there was some normal um, functions and normal ways to do things that didn't include women in the highest levels of leadership. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I really take a moment to thank my husband, uh, who most of the times that you would see me in places of leadership, almost always or on the stage or on the microphone, It'd be because my husband chose to champion me, invite me into that space. So I'm super thankful for that. You know, and I and I do honor um, Bill and Chris for having the um, being pioneers to some regard in the church to say yes, there is a place for women mm -hmm. and come on. And and I want to thank Sherry Silk as well, Danny mm -hmm. Silk's wife. The reason that there are women on the senior team at Bethel is because of Sherry, mm -hmm. and she fought hard. And she did well, and I came behind her wake. So mm -hmm. I got invited on the senior team, but I believe I have Sherry to thank for that. Mm. Yeah, and um, yeah, and, and it was it, it was a big shift. I don't know if as much as a heart shift for that, but it really just wasn't a culture. Mm. Yeah, cool. Because when you think about it, like the there's one thing to like say that you advocate for women, but then it's another thing to like intentionally take those steps to yeah. put women into those places. Mm -hmm. um, because, like you said, there is sort of the tradition of the church being sort of like a boys club in the yeah. leadership and it's just like men have been in charge for so long um and so to invite women in that's like a a shift of behavior not just mm -hmm. of thought mm -hmm. and also of of both men saying hey come come to the table and then also of women saying hey i'm coming to the table <laughs> yeah. like sherry silk did. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah i love that and i think another part of that is like they would say come to the table and i'm actually <laughs> and i have something to say yeah. you know yeah. there's a difference like come into the room oh yeah and then at the very end did you have something to say actually i actually have a lot of things <laughs> to say and, and and maybe would we rearrange how we're doing stuff i actually yeah. have ideas that I would like to contribute and I care about leading. And a lot of them too, I think, um, um, are married. Maybe they are around women and wives who I don't think their wives would say, oh, they always held me down. I just think they're, maybe their wives weren't as interested mm -hmm. um, in, in being a part or helping to bring shape or form to things, but maybe just to uh, come along and just serve. And yes, I'll be your accountant or I'll help run you know, this aspect of it where I actually want to bring shape and form to things mm -hmm. and, and be a part of helping to lead and set people up for success, not just be your assistant. Mm -hmm. yeah. So there's different ways. You can come into the room, but how are you coming into the room and what's going to be acceptable and how do we yeah. see you yeah mm. yeah well and for sure like for me as a young girl growing mm. up Bethel was kind of an icon for me of women in leadership like powerful women in leadership like I think of mostly worship leaders like Kim Walker Smith she was mm -hmm. like a huge inspiration to me who who both knew the Bible and like dearly loved the Lord and were very public about mm -hmm. it and had like a stage and actually getting here you realize like okay yes like this church has made so many leaps and bounds beyond like the conservative christian world but also like there's still limits yeah mm -hmm. we're still like kind of breaking down some of those like historically established ways of doing things and 
we're breaking down norms and we're making people uncomfortable and all of that stuff. And so I think I was kind of surprised to get here and be like, oh, yeah, okay, we're still, like, figuring that out. Um, But, yeah, I think, like, um, one thing that's been helpful for me is understanding, like, the history of mentorship Mm -hmm. and how for so long men have mentored men. And so – and women mentor women. And so when you have men in power, they're able to mentor younger men into positions of power. And you have women who have, like, a limited level, and they can bring women up to that level or potentially forge – or but, like, forging ahead is, like, much more difficult and Mm -hmm. things like that. So I think, like, I've seen the church learn to allow men to mentor women Mm -hmm. and different things like that that have helped kind of expand – the church wholeness as a whole. Yeah. But I was also curious, like, other than that, like, we have kind of our our history and our um, our established ways of doing things, and maybe this is, like, maybe you've already answered, but what, what are, why do these limitations exist? Like, why do we, why is it so hard to, to change? Oh, wait, yeah, you said the word. <laughs> Remember we talked about transition? It requires change. Yeah. As humans, I think that change is just a really challenging thing. Mm. I We rarely meet someone who's like, yay, change. And you can say it in it far off or like, oh, yay, change. I was going to eat pizza for dinner and now I'm having tacos. Oh, that's so hard. <laughs> <laughs> but you just bring it down into something real or something you really care about and something that you loved or that was familiar Humans Mm. like consistency and things that are known and familiar. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Actually, most creatures do. (laughs) Get an animal, try to train them, get what's normal, move their bed later. Your dog, get a dog and like (laughs) put them in one spot, move their bed. They're going to be like, where, where's my bed? (laughs) We're creatures of habit. Yeah. And so I actually think it's just part of just our humanity. (laughs) (laughs) I I think that's a big part of it. And another part is just... um, you know, for the church, it's it's what was normal, what was the homeostasis, what was the familiar, and you can change the way you think. I mean, that's Bill's big. That is scripture, mm-hmm. um, but um, getting the mind of Christ and what you think is important because what you think will be a part of come out of what um, your behaviors come out of what you think mm-hmm. as well and your actions. Um, but you can change the way you think. But then changing your norms and behaviors, like I think it's a starting. And I believe that we've already done that. I mean, Danny wrote a book. uh, Chris wrote a book. I think we're talking like 10 plus years ago. And um, and and I believe and it is on theology and women and leadership. And um, but then knowing it and doing it, you know, in every area, there's just a lot of things we probably just aren't cognitive of um, as we are moving kind of moving the ball forward in this area. But I do think that we would be sad not to champion what what has been moved forward. Mm-hmm. And as women and as and for me as a woman in leadership at Bethel, I just say my main message is more gratitude than anything else. I'm not saying there hasn't been limits and I haven't hit walls because I have, but I am very thankful that they actually invited me to the table. Mm-hmm. Mind you, it might have been through one person inviting me and not realizing that I actually had something to say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they might have been sorry afterwards. <laughs> um, and then my, it took, you know, my husband championing me. It took me pushing all with all of my force of like, whoa, if you ask me, I'm going to show up. Mm-hmm. And I will. I don't care. And I can tell you don't want me to speak I, or you're not mm-hmm. comfortable. And I can feel it in the room. I feel like the all, odd person out. 
But then I get a choice. What are you going to do? Yeah. I'm going to show up, but they don't mm. even care about your voice. Or that sure, peers that they don't, because they haven't asked you and they haven't referred to you as a pastor the last 10 times that they just referred in this room to this, the Eric's the pastor. Mm. I'm like, I know we're both the pastor, but why are you not treating me that way right now? Yeah. Mm. And I just think we're getting some of those behaviors that they just don't realize how they're coming across and how they're treating me. Yeah. So I got to walk through a lot of those, which I know a lot of women probably have. Um, and then what do we do in those circumstances? Do you just choose to continue to hold against them and to judge them or to give them grace or to go, we are, we're all doing our best. And um, I've had to learn to take ownership for me. Like if I feel shut down or I if something happens and makes me feel sad, then that is my responsibility to go, I, I'm going to believe the best about you. I know that you love me. And I thank you for championing me. When you introduced, uh, when you introduced me as the pastor's wife, that feels sad to me and it feels like not true. Or yeah. when you continue to refer to Eric as the pastor and not me, like, I don't know if you realize, like, I've built a lot of the things that are actually loving the church right now and helping to lead the teams. Mm-hmm. So if I do not say something, I believe that's on me. Wow. But I, I'm responsible for how I come to do it. Yeah. If yeah. I'm coming um, just humble or with grace or if I'm coming in judgment accusation. Yeah. Yeah. I love what you said, though, because it kind of sounds like you got some sympathy invitations. Like, oh, it's like, it's Eric's wife. We should invite her. And then it's like, I love to see what a powerful woman does when she receives a sympathy invitation. And then a man doesn't know what he's getting himself into. And you're just like, oh, hold up a minute. Like, give me that microphone. I call them a give me that microphone moment. Um, But I love how you've navigated that. And I love how you are so kind. Like, <laughs> Most of the time. Like, hopefully. I'm trying to like assume the best about you, all yeah. these things. I'm like, no, 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 you're a jerk. <laughs> but um, no, I think all of us can can take a lesson out of your book mm-hmm. for sure when it comes to that because I think most people, it's it's not intentional. I think... I truly believe what you just said. Yeah. I really do. Yeah. I and do like, not think it's intentional most of the time. Most mm-hmm. of the time. There are some. Yes. But <laughs> like for the majority, it's like, oh yeah, you, you are a man and you... Mm-hmm. You don't know what that would feel like Mm -hmm. and because you've never been in that position. But it's my opportunity to educate you as a loving sister in Christ. Mm -hmm. Eric and I have gone through that journey so strongly. Mm -hmm. We've always worked together um, and partnered in different ways throughout our whole relationship and marriage. And when we stepped into saying yes to co-pastoring, and we decided to co-pastor on purpose. Mm-hmm. And that way, they didn't invite us. Even when they share now, Chris will say, oh, and this is when we invited Eric and Candace to pastor the church. I'm like, to be fair, they invited yeah. Eric to pastor. Eric and I prayed about it. And we said, we will do it, but we'll only do it if both of us can do it. And they mm-hmm. said, oh, okay, yeah, that's okay. Yeah, you can do that. So it wasn't because they were against me, but they really did only invite yeah. Eric. Mm-hmm. And well, because their and, first thought is yep. to yeah. ask him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, um, and so Eric and I stepped in together and we wanted to co-pastor. He wanted to, I wanted to, and to do it together. And mind you, even before I met Eric, I was like my eighth grade class president. I was my ninth grade class president. I was the senior, the student body president of my whole school. I like leadership. Mm-hmm. I actually, just something on my life. I've led lots of missions trips. I've done mm-hmm. a lot of things before I actually met Eric. Mm-hmm. Um, and then coming together with him, it's where I ran into a little bit of in the church. It's like the man is the head and then you just support him. I'm like, I'm happy to do that. But does that mean that I can't lead anymore? Mm-hmm. You know, so it's just been a journey. And Eric's been fully on the journey with me. And so he's like, yeah, come and let's do this together. But even in that, I've got to see him, this man who I know adores me and sees that in me and wants to champion me. 
we have, I've seen him run into things that he didn't even realize how he was treating me, mm-hmm. where we were like, you know, like, oh, we're going to have a staff meeting. We're going to set it up and run it together. I know how to run staff meetings. Mm-hmm. I know how to like well, things that I'd want to do so that people feel connected, mm-hmm. so that we've clarified our vision, that they um, know what's going on, and then we can begin to build together. We have these weekly meetings, and mind you, we're pastoring together. And he'd come in there and he would go, okay, we're going to do this and this. He'd run the whole meeting, 45, so it's hour long. At like 55 minutes, he goes, looks over at me and goes, did you want to say anything? And I'm like, oh, oh my gosh. I'm like fuming. I think there's smoke coming out of my head. And he's like, what's wrong? Yeah. Huh, what is wrong? (laughs) We're both leading this and we care about the staff and you're just, that's how we're going to do this? Yeah. That's what you call co-leading? Mm. Man, that is, oh. So I yeah. had to, I was angry. I was sad. I was frustrated. And then I had to go to him and be like, and I, mind you, I know he loves me. This isn't me believing the best about him. Like, mm. I know he does. Mm-hmm. Like, I know you love me. And I know you want to do this together. But, like, I don't understand how that is co-leading. Mm. Yeah. I actually have a lot of good ideas. And I would have ran that meeting a lot different. And I don't need to be solely in charge. But we didn't even talk about it before. Yeah. And you gave me less, like three minutes at the end if I wanted to add anything to everything that you did. Mm. And he's like, oh, well, I didn't know that you wanted to say anything. I'm like, I, I do. Yeah. Um, I actually have a lot of ideas. Yeah. And I think it would add to what we're doing. And mm. so we had to, I had to come to him and not just accuse him because he really wasn't against me. Mm-hmm. And I know that. Um, but, and then he, he apologized. He's like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't even know. I'm like, well, then we go, what could we do differently? Yeah. We go, what if we just take like, you know, 15 minutes before and we talk about what we're hoping to accomplish in the meeting or we take some time mm-hmm. during our work. So we created a solution so that we both feel set up for a success. Yeah. And it was a learning journey for both of us. Mm-hmm. So I ran into lots of different things and even into my husband, he's ran into me and I can't be like, I don't want to push you over and I don't need to be the head and I don't need to be in charge, but I do would like to use my gift mix in my heart to serve this house well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I bet you guys have had some very interesting (laughs) evening debriefs over dinner. We've had to set boundaries (laughs) when we're allowed to talk about work stuff. (laughs) Yeah, it's so relatable because when I was on the missions field, I was the one who was a full-time missionary. My husband is a software developer, and that's all he ever wants to be. So he was like hanging out at home doing his introverted life. (laughs) And all the time the question would be, when's your husband going to join? Like Uh when... When is he going to, like, you know, mm. like, get into this and stuff? And I'd be like, I don't think he has any intention of that. Like, that's not his calling. That's not what he desires. And, like, mm-hmm. he's really actually very supportive of me and, like, what I'm doing. And that was a journey for me to learn as well mm-hmm. in that. But um, I think, like, people genuinely, like, want to see that ideal that we, you know, the head and then the wife. And mm-hmm. she's supportive. And he's – and. Part of me wanted that as well, just because that was the model that was given. And so learning both to change my way of thinking Mm -hmm. and help other people change their way of thinking is like, but it's just kind of implicit in everything that we do. And Mm -hmm. so when you're confronted with it, you're like, oh, totally. Actually, like I have, I'm, I have lots of great qualities and like, I'm very experienced and I know what I'm doing yeah. and like yeah. I'm very mm-hmm. trustworthy in this whether or not my husband is a part of the ministry or yes. not. Mm-hmm. And like yeah. your qualification doesn't come through your husband being present with you because I had a similar yes. thing but me and James weren't married yet and everyone was like oh is he like on fire enough? 
Like, does he, like, love Jesus enough? Like, oh, you should marry a pastor. You should marry a youth pastor. And I was just like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, And, like, it, it is an interesting conversation within that. Like, I'm a powerful woman. I love God. I have a calling. My husband's not in that. And that's okay. And he, like, his love for Jesus isn't limited by if he's going to come and show up in a ministry or not. Yeah. Well, and I think I almost at times, like, tried to pull him in mm. to, like, be that, like, hole with which I could, like, shine through. Mm. It's like I felt like I didn't have mm. a vessel to expel all of me that is me. Mm. And I think learning that, like, hey, like, God designed you differently. God designed yeah. Ross differently. Like, you don't need him as that, like, human shield between you and, like, the rest of the world mm. to, like do what you're called to do like you can just do that yeah and I was like it it was like mind-blowing to me and actually my husband was a huge piece in like teaching me that but anyways totally related I do think it's interesting when you're just talking men and women and us just being free to be who we are versus Mm -hmm. what's expected the same is true you're talking about your husband's but the same is true about women, like in other leaders that are married to pastors. Like, does that mean that they have to lead if you're a woman? Mm-hmm. Can you be the pastor's wife and actually choose not to take a leadership role? Totally. And are you are you stepping into all of who God has called you to be? Yes, potentially yes. you might have a different strength. And, mm-hmm. and I just love to just give people permission to just be them mm-hmm. and to whatever that looks like. Just because I chose to, Eric and I have a desk. I have half of it. He has half of it. We're Aww. choosing to co- <laughs> so cute. We, we choose to co-lead in all regards because of my desires and who I am and my gift mix. But I have friends that are like, actually, I'm not interested. I just want to be at home with the kids. Or actually, I just want to teach or do my own job. Mm-hmm. And I'll support from this um, this space. And I actually don't want to do anything on stage. Totally. And I'm yeah. like, do I shame you for that? Is there something wrong? Like, no, actually, no. we all need to be free to yeah. just honor the Lord and be obedient to um, who he what he's asking us to do and who he's created us to be. Totally. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. That makes me think of actually the um the pastor of the church that I went to in Philadelphia, his wife is a lawyer. Yeah. And she's like off being this like amazing boss lady lawyer and he's pastoring and he's like so devoted to pastoring, but mm-hmm. like that doesn't mean that she's mm-hmm. not involved or that she's not supportive of him just because she's not like in the ministry all day she actually gets uncomfortable when he's like okay come up and talk to the church about this and she's like oh this is not my thing that i like to do and you can see it and he's like come on (laughs) but uh yeah and i also think about like how important it is to see women up front Mm -hmm. you know like i um actually the first time that i got exposed to seeing a woman like preach uh, was Havila Cunnington. She's um, a good at, one. She's good at uh, a Jesus Culture conference. Yep. And I didn't even really know what Jesus Culture was, but my friends were going and I was like, okay. And um, I had been told for years before that that women couldn't lead in the church. And I had gone to a church in high school that allowed um, women to speak um, and to like preach, but not to be in pastoral roles. Mm -hmm. Um, But we could lead Bible studies, we could lead worship, and we could preach, but we couldn't be called pastors. And then I went to a space that was even more so saying like, oh, no, like women can't do that. Um, And then I saw Havla and I literally tried to email her afterwards and was like, hi, I saw you speak and you spoke in front of like a co-ed audience. 
how are you allowed to do that? Like, what is the justification? I never got an answer, but it was through like (laughs) a random email that was like on her website. And so it probably went to like an assistant or something and then never got to her. But um, I was just so like fascinated in seeing a woman on stage because Mm -hmm. I kept being told that that couldn't happen Mm -hmm. um, and that a woman couldn't speak in a capacity as a pastor. And uh, I think that seeing her like led me to then be like, okay, like what, what does the Bible actually say about this? What does this mm-hmm. actually look like? Is this actually possible? Is this biblical? And like led me down that road just by seeing her. And she wasn't speaking about women in leadership. Yeah. She wasn't speaking about anything like revolutionary. She mm-hmm. wasn't, you know, um, she was just preaching and yeah. just yeah. giving, you know, the word of God. And uh, so I think that that's really, that's really important and really valuable. And so I'm sure like people getting to see you on stage, getting to see, um, all the other women in leadership at Bethel on stage, like that just in itself is pushing, you know? Now, I I love the idea of, show, I love the idea of wholeness. So just the wholeness of God is everything that I want. And I want to live wholeheartedly. Um, and one way I know to create a sense of wholeness is, like I said, give invite people in people that are different Mm -hmm. and value them so that we could learn parts of god that we don't naturally carry and um when they invited eric to pastor the church we were going back and forth because honestly had no desire to pastor bethel (laughs) and uh, mind you i didn't i was like still praying like we can leave reading whenever (laughs) (laughs) because i was only here for a little while um and eric eric was interested he goes but you know I, i want us both to feel good about it we took two months to pray about it and really, when it came down to it, I um, I said, you know, honestly, if, if you choose to pastor and I'm just a part of the church, that will be so hard for me because the fact that it would just be a church represented by fathers and not having mothers, and mm-hmm. I'm sitting there with my gift mix in my heart, I said, that would be really hard for me. So I think either we don't do it or we do it. Mm-hmm. And Eric's like, I would agree. And, and that's me just taking ownership for who I am. Mm-hmm. And we decided to do it. And I and for me, I'm just passionate about a church having a, mo- a family. So families have moms and dads, and they're both crucial roles. Mm-hmm. And and a lot of times, even if when you can tell when a man's in charge of something or they're in charge of dinner, I'm like, awesome, we had steak. Is there mm-hmm. anything else for dinner? <laughs> well, just steamed like literally like, just a steak. Yeah. If my husband is in charge yep. of making dinner, it's just meat. <laughs> I say that from experience as well. <laughs> and and it and we just uh, both add different things that are really valuable. Yeah. And I want to build a healthy family, and I consider church a family. We're considered the body of Christ, and we're all connected. And um, to build a healthy, wholehearted family. I think it's really important to have moms and dads. So I don't mean mm-hmm. I don't think that pastors it has to be a married couple leading it per se, but having different people who have authority and are allowed to invest and to lead that are men and women feel really valuable mm-hmm. and I, I like the environments that they create. So yeah. Yeah. well that's such a motherly decision. Yeah. yeah. As you're describing it, you're like, no, this church needs a mom. Yeah. And like even though Reading is not yeah. like my love or the thing that I'm passionate yeah. about, I'm going to sacrificially step forward in leadership so that Reading can have a mom. Wow. So that yeah. Bethel can have a mom. And like yeah. that's amazing. We yeah. really needed that. Yeah. I'm you, so thankful you for you guys did. and everything that you did. Yeah. Like, yeah, you were very, very needed. Mm-hmm. Like as again, as someone who's been here eight going on nine years, like you brought something special and continue to bring something mm-hmm. special that others do not. And it was mm-hmm. very, very needed. Thank you. Yeah. It's been so fun and fun to champion other women. So in knowing my own experience and hitting my head on things mm-hmm. uh, for different reasons, 
the most fun thing that I was like, oh, hey, look at what, what, who God is inside of you. Come up here. I want you to do this. Mm. Really? Yes. And then they'd be like, oh, but I feel nervous because I'm not Bill. I'm not Chris. I'm not. And I'm like, no, we need who yeah, you are. Why. We need your story. And and I, stuff that I had to work through. Like when they asked me to, when Eric asked me to speak on a Sunday morning, I'm like, oh my gosh. Like, so these guys speak multiple times a week all over the world, world-renowned speakers. And then you want me to come up there? Oh, <laughs> what can I give that would be useful? And then of yeah. course you have to go through like, nope, you need to be confident. Like, do you receive what God has for you? Yes. Are you willing to give it away? Yes. Then get up there. Oh, you know, you just yeah. have to get, bring it down to simplicity. Mm-hmm. Can you be worshiped to the Lord? Yes. Um, can you be obedient? So, uh, you know, just learning to give out of that space, regardless if you feel like you did it well, regardless if it was really well received, like uh, you were invited, did you say yes? Mm-hmm. And then learning to re- to grow as well. Like, mm-hmm. okay, I did it. I could do that better. How many times did you say, um, way too many? <laughs> um, did your stories connect? Did, was it, I know you had good content, but did you actually make it, did you connect with people? So you just learn to grow as a speaker as well. So yeah. it's important. And I mean, the only way you'll grow is through doing it. Yeah. Is That's through being a given big the thing. space. Yeah. Practice. So having more women getting practice up there, like, wow, why are the men just all better speakers? Well, how many times are they speaking a week versus these women? They've mm-hmm. had two chances this year. They, the men that you hear, probably have five times a week, if not ten. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is a big discrepancy there. But I don't. Mm-hmm. I say that's like history. Mm-hmm. Um, their mm-hmm. women I mean, are getting so much. Oh my gosh! True. Oh, step aside, fellas. <laughs> you make some space. <laughs> and I think that our environment, our leadership, completely recognizes that and mm-hmm. values that. This is like a very old conversation. Mm -hmm. So it really is exciting just to see how things have progressed and changed. Mm -hmm. And and it is it is a complete honor and a privilege to champion women um, in the space like it was. But even in now, it's it's a it's a complete honor to champion people who you just see the Lord on them and the anointing on them. And I love just cheering them on. And um, yeah, I don't I don't see there being much lack in our environment with Mm. the space of women. It's gotten a lot less. Mm -hmm. Mm. Yeah. Well, and. Speaking of wholeness and wholeness in the church and um, really the church looking like the kingdom of God, um, which is diverse and is multicultural and everything, it's it's varied. And um, one of the first times that I ever saw you speak was um, at the African-American history performance that Bethel puts on every year, usually, not these past two but usually that happens and that's something that um, both you and Eric have sort of been champions for in this community uh, and so I want to hear more about in thinking about ethnic diversity within the church um, how is that something that you became passionate about fostering you know just having wider representation within the church especially in an area like Redding California which if you're not familiar like it is a very like mono ethnic place in a lot of ways very white Mm -hmm. yes Mm -hmm. (laughs) so um what is that what what sparked that for you I took my first missions trip when I was in seventh grade to Mexico. Mm-hmm. And I, so I grew up in a family, I didn't grow up in a Christian family, and my family didn't travel internationally mm-hmm. very much. And I was from Northern California, predominantly white. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and I took my first mission trip to Mexico, and I was intrigued by everything. Mm-hmm. I was intrigued by that they had a different language. I was intrigued by what we were eating. I was intrigued by how things were set up and different and the clothes that we were, they were wearing. So um, the change and the difference and the uniqueness was like fascinating to me. Enough to where I just wanted to know more. I wanted to know, how do I speak like you? Mm. Why do you think the way that you do? Those are all culture. That is all culture. The way that you think, the way that you approach life, the way that you speak. Um, And I just loved it. I went on to um, just start um, learning a lot more about other cultures, supporting missionaries. Um, and I uh, did YWAM right after high school. I lived in Colombia for a while. Mm-hmm. I loved everything about getting out of our American culture. And when I went to YWAM, I think it was really um, impactful to me. I was the only American there. So I was with uh, most um, South Americans, and there was like two other Europeans, two or three other Europeans. And that was in doing life for a sustained period of time. Was It was so interesting to learn how much of me is American, how much of me is just because of who God's created me to be, how much of me is just him, how much of me, it just what makes up who we are. You know, I believe nature, nurture, you know, there's genes in here, but then also I was taught away. We all have norms. And I find all that fascinating. So mm-hmm. I came back after that experience, went to college. I was a intercultural child, child development major. So I wanted to get trained so that I could um, help work with kids but also I wanted to work with other cultures as well because I, mm. I found it fascinating, but I also found um, it really meaningful as well. And that mm. desire, like I love to pay attention to my heart and I just had a really strong desire there. Um, so it's something that I've always loved. So coming to Bethel, you know, it was a little shocking to me to come, not I'm from Northern California, but to go where I thought I was going and then to come to Reading was a yeah. little bit of a shocker. Um, and Mexico I remember- Mexico and Reading are a yeah. little different. <laughs> Very different places. Um, I had- the food especially. Mm. Yes, yeah. yeah. There was a lot of grieving. Again, yeah. in that I, I honestly, the first year of marriage, I love being married, but when um, I was in the church, it would just be like, Lord, why? Why would you give me this heart? But it was so funny because the next year, the school of ministry started. And um, within like- three years, there was a lot more internationals here in Redding. Mm-hmm. And who would have ever known that internationals would be coming to Redding, California? Right. I didn't. Yeah. So I, God has a sense of humor. <laughs> um, and uh, when we came back, we moved to Weaverville for a while, six years, and then we had come back and uh, Eric had worked with the school and did missions. And then uh, the last 10 years, we've been pastoring the church. And it's just been fun to be able to celebrate and to make room for the diversity inside of our church. And mind Mm -hmm. you, so my heart is to love people. And how I know to love people is to represent and to value who they are. So I'm trying to put people up on the stage. um, Like even we do things and we're all, we do have a very young environment, especially like when Jesus culture was starting. It was like, God's touching the youth. And I remember our older people were like, oh, if he's touching the youth, revival's coming to the youth, then I guess there's not really a purpose for me then because I'm mm. not, you know, in that mm. age range. And it's just so interesting when words would come out and like, God is doing some of the youth, but you know that you're crucial. Mm. Like, we need you. And God, like, so it's just bringing value and be like, just because there is something 
highlighted or someone celebrated, it doesn't mean that you're chopped liver. Yeah. <laughs> and I think as humans, we just have to always do that. Like, oh, God's touching men. Does that mm. mean women? Or God's touching women. And the men are like, oh, because we're nothing. Mm-hmm. Like, just like, how do we still continue to have value and to give value mm-hmm. and to still highlight and to celebrate? Because it's your birthday. doesn't mean that I'm not special. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I think that's part of health and part of having an identity um, and knowing who we are uh, to to be able to celebrate people well and to honor people well, I think we just need to get really healthy in our own mm-hmm. identity. Mm-hmm. And so at Bethel, it's been an honor as we've gotten more diverse and brought, gotten a little more spice and color in our environment. Mm-hmm. It's been such a gift. And um, and then to, how do you make room for that? And then like six years ago, there was like the shooting in Baltimore and you started to un, like reveal some deep pain yeah. That um, I don't, I definitely wasn't as aware of. And as I um, had relationships with some um, black, I had black leaders in what we were doing in the church, and one of them reached out and said, and I was in relationship with her, and she was helping to cover. We have this being group, Blacks Empowering the Next Generation, that come out of the school, but she was helping me in covering small groups in the church. And she had said, Candace, I think they need covering. And because the school typically has a lot of younger people in it, and which is a lot of passion, but not always a lot of maturity. Um, and mm-hmm. I don't I don't speak of that as like, that's bad, but it's just good to couple those together. And she goes, I, I think they should come underneath our covering. I'm like, I'm great with that. And I totally trust you, we're working together. So she was starting to bring covering to the group. And she reached out to me one summer and goes, Candace, I know you, I know your heart. Like you've chosen me, made space for me, blah, blah. She said, but a lot of them don't know you in there and the leadership at Bethel, and they are feeling really hurt that no one has checked in on them um, after the shootings. I go, okay, so I know the shootings were horrible and painful. It was all over the news in Baltimore. And she said, but no one even checked in. They're really hurting. I go, oh my gosh, I didn't even know they're hurting. And she said, yes, they are. And I said, but I don't normally talk to them any, like I don't, I never reached out to them about anything, like what they ate for breakfast, let alone that you're hurting because someone stepped on your toe or because you're afraid of what's going to happen to you and your family because people that look like you are getting targeted by the police. I'm like, I just was so clueless. And luckily she was so kind and we had relationship that we could have this conversation. She goes, yeah, it's actually really scary, Candace. I'm scared for even my son. I have sons and I think about their future. Mm -hmm. And what happens when they get pulled over on the street? I'm like, gosh, I haven't thought about that. She goes, so we're scared. I'm like, oh, I can completely correct that. I am so sorry. Thank you so much for actually taking the time to Mm. tell me that so that I could adjust. So that began this journey with our black community specifically. um, And I I was working with our, we have a really good Latin community as well and working with a lot of them. But in the last, I don't know, six, five, six years, there's this racial pain in America that has just been exposed and it got really exposed in 2020. And I was thankful for the last six years, we've just really intentionally been um, gathering, learning. I just started this learning journey uh, for since learning that that our people are in pain, I'm like, gosh, well, how do I love you well? Because I love you, and obviously, I'm not doing a good job. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and I remember the journey. They wanted instantly, like, let's put this on the stage. We want if you really value this, and this message is going to go out, and you're going to use everything. And I'm like, actually, I would feel much more comfortable. And I feel like wisdom would say, let's build this in the back room. Let's be this. Let's actually get healing with each other and learn and build trust. Mm-hmm. And then at some point, we will show who we are. 
Mm-hmm. And I remember them going like, this is a lot slower than I was thinking. I said, but I feel this is much more authentic because I don't mm-hmm. want to share something that we haven't done. Yeah. yeah. And so we took a lot, it took time. And, and now you know, we process through it now with all the different leaders and they're like, that was discouraging and hard. But at the same time, like we, we did move forward. And I, I know that a lot of our leaders would hope that we would have moved farther than we are now, but mm-hmm. I am, I don't want to not celebrate that we have moved forward. So mm-hmm. doing the black history celebrations, uh, we're a part of that. We had lots of conversations. Conversations. We held like a family conversations night on, on race and proper terminology and, and what we're experiencing and what it's like from both sides. And um, we've done some trainings, some intentional um, gatherings, but most of them behind closed doors, a few of them out in the open. Uh, but I tell you, the, the Black History Celebrations, Tanasha Larray is just been a gift to me. She's another leader that has emerged out of the church as this beautiful black woman that is um, just probably one of the most gifted people that I know. So wise. Oh, yeah. Full of, yeah. And she's on our first episode of the podcast. Uh, if you want to go back so and plug. listen to that one, if you're wondering who the heck we're talking about. And she's she's been a huge gift. Among, you know, there's been quite actually a few leaders um and she is a creative. And mm-hmm. so as she came to me and was like, you know, uh, February is Black History Month. What if we were able to do something? Because we we're just wanting to grow and educate ourselves. Because mind you, we're mm-hmm. white, Northern California. And we have, what's our responsibility? Our responsibility is to learn. Mm-hmm. If you do not know, and if you are causing pain, and um, and you continue to say to people next to you, Jesus loves you and I love you, that might work for one minute. But if we're in the same conversation five minutes later, a month later, a year later, and they're in pain and you have done nothing except for say, how can I pray for you? Jesus loves you. Oh, and I love you. <laughs> like that is not true after a certain point. Mm. And so we have a responsibility. If your brother or sister is hurting and it has gone on for a sustained period of time and you have done nothing besides say these Christian sayings, I'm like, whoa, I, I actually need to go back and dig in and um, change what I'm doing because my actions are not matching my words. Yeah. And so, so we had leaned into it and, and really developed some intentional relationships and built a lot of trust and then started doing some stuff. And, and it's easy to do stuff with people that you trust. Mm-hmm. Cause that's the thing about building organically and building with authenticity. It's like, we didn't put, I didn't want to put the pressure to go, okay, they're in pain. We have to take care of them right now. Go do something. <laughs> and uh, when we took time and we started relation, relationships and co- hard conversations, but what is going on? How have you experienced us? What has brought you pain? What has brought you joy? What was my responsibility? How can I serve you? Mm. And checking in, not just once. Okay, let's come back to this. So we've done that. Then we finally decided to do the Black History Celebrations. And then, I mean, Tanasha's brilliant. She's like, oh, I, I've got a plan. And she put it all together. It was the most beautiful production. The first one was more like the hit, more history as far as civil rights, uh, Martin Luther King, um, touching, I think there was even like Barack Obama piece in it. And it was hard. I mean, it's hard because it's a really painful history. Mm-hmm. So as a white person sitting there, whoo! Mm-hmm. Um, but it felt it, it was right and we needed to educate ourselves. The second one or third one, we did a gospel celebration. And Tanasha felt like, I think there's too much pain right now. I think the wisest thing, instead of um, scratching that pain and poking at it. I actually wanted to be more celebratory. So there was history, but it was beautiful and mm-hmm. talking about just where gospel came from and then even how it morphed into what it is and and um, with the roots that, uh, that it came from. And I felt after we did that, I actually left that night going, I feel more whole after going through that experience with my family that are from a different culture and have a different... Um, 
have a different background in history and worshiping God together, even in a different sound. Mm-hmm. And I just like, thank you so much for letting me experience you and to know you. And I feel like I've experienced more of God. Mm-hmm. So it's been a complete honor, but it's really, just, it hasn't been me. It's been the people around us. Yeah. Wow. I mean, and that's, you talk about that, that experience of wholeness. Like that was one of the things that was probably one of my biggest takeaways from when I was on the mission field was I'm seeing God worshipped in in Central America, in Africa, in Southeast Asia, and and they're all so different, mm-hmm. and they're all beautiful. And like remembering, like God is actually bigger than the cultures that we have, yeah. and mm-hmm. bigger than um, our traditions, and actually can be worshipped through all these different avenues. Mm-hmm. Um, and and those are showing different parts of the heart of God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and so, like walking away from the mission field and and realizing like oh this is this is so much bigger it's so much bigger than the the expectation that we have of what church should look like of what worship looks like like worship sometimes looks like dancing and a full-blown party and it looks like uh, a gospel choir or it may look like a deep hours long prayer meeting like there's so many different ways that it looks and seeing that in these cultures all over the world it was like this is this is the kingdom mm-hmm. yeah it. but there was a worship night and the room is packed out and it was just the kind of worship that makes your face want to melt off because it's just so intense and you're just yeah. giving God everything there's just heart cry and it's so intense at one point Morgan who's from New Zealand starts to get like stuff's going on and I think there's like a little choir behind them but then he starts to do this chant he does this chant and I chant and I believe it's called the Hakka yeah. and um, it's a the a tribe in New Zealand that um, it I don't I can't remember if it's like a war cry or it's something and he begins to do these arm motions with it and then do this chant and I and this is like a really vulnerable moment before the Lord but I just felt like oh my gosh you're giving like from the core of who you are. And it's this chant that I don't know from Northern California. And it's very different, but it was so like, it just shook the core of who you are because someone was giving their authentic self and it came out in a haka chant. Like it it was incredible. Yeah. And so I think of like when in Revelations, I think it's seven, nine, it talks about like all the tribes and tongues and nations coming. Like what a gorgeous sound. Mm -hmm. So that's just something I long for. Mm -hmm. And it's what I want to champion Mm -hmm. and, um, and just see Jesus get his full reward. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Speaking of experiencing God, if you want to go watch the Haka, you can literally (laughs) YouTube it. It is insane. Um, and it's a very beautiful tradition. They do it at weddings. They do it like all the time. It's cool. Anyway, I love that you said that. (laughs) So, Candace, we've talked about so many beautiful things. You are such a stunning human. And I have to know, what advice and wisdom do you have for young female leaders who feel called to the church? Because you have wisdom on wisdom on wisdom. And give us some. Can you please? <laughs> you feel called to the church. Well, the church, the head is Jesus. So if we just look into his eyes, everything is possible. If we just give him our whole heart and everything that um, he'll make a way for us. That's what that's what the Lord does. But also part of um, following Christ is denying ourselves. So as much as we um, want to step up and have a voice as women, as humans, the best thing that we can do is actually lay down our life and to lay down our agenda and to lay down. So when we come into things, instead of saying, oh, I need to share who I am and give what I have, actually to step in and listen and learn a little bit first. 
And so any, any woman who um, really feels passionate about the church, then go in and learn more about the church. And specifically, if there's an area or a, a specific leadership that you want to go be a part, go in and serve and love and try and understand them before you try to go and have your big impact. Because um, I do believe that women, that you carry something that we need, but making sure that we make space and value what other people carry as well mm-hmm. so that we can actually do this together. Um, for the church to be whole, we actually we all need to come together and um, and champion one another for Jesus to get fully honored and be the head. So coming in and being willing to partner and being, being willing to lay down, but also being willing to show up mm-hmm. when um, when it when you're invited, say yes and step in with confidence that that you serve the Lord, but you're willing to give a hundred percent of who you are. Um, and the Lord's portion is more than enough. Even we don't feel like our portion's enough. God, God will always um, fulfill and provide. It's His nature, and so I just champion you as women to say a full yes to the Lord and to not be discouraged when things don't come out in the time frame that you're hoping to, um, or in the way that you're hoping to. But that God will make a way for you, and that you don't have to fight for yourself, and that God, um, just even in our surrender, that He He makes ways for us. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really valuable word in a lot of ways because I feel like. From our perspective, like, obviously we have this podcast and we talk about womanhood all the time and we um, get really passionate and, like, fiery about things. And I know that I'm sometimes guilty of coming into a situation with assumptions of what people are going to think about womanhood Mm -hmm. um, and thinking, like, oh, well, you're this person. This is the surface level things I know about you. And so you're going to think this about women. And so I'm just pre-judging you about this already, you know? And so the idea of, like, coming at it with, giving people the benefit of the doubt and seeking to understand before making assumptions, before jumping to conclusions and saying, well, you are this Mm -hmm. evangelical white man, therefore (laughs) you're going to not support women the way that I think that you should or things, you know, so I think that's really valuable to, to seek understanding and seek, um, more information. recognize people are unique and individuals. They don't, have one specific like blanket apply all of how people operate and so that's really valuable and important but to wrap all of this up (laughs) candace the question that we ask all of our guests um and the question that we are asking you today is (laughs) um what does woman being mean to you well, if you're in Reading, you see Mount Shasta. It's this gorgeous, majestic mountain. It doesn't matter what Mount Shasta does. It just is. Mm. And so woman being is really just being carriers of his glory and um, and letting our light shine by who we are and embracing that. And woman being is being fierce life givers. The thing that makes women different than men is actually our ability to carry and nurture life. It's, actually, it's how he created us. So in... In us, um, like if I'm around, if I'm hiking, so I love to hike. One of the things that makes me nervous, if I ever see a bear and I see cubs, I just don't want to be around it because I do not feel safe what a mama bear will do if you mess with her cubs. Yeah. There is a fierceness in women that, uh, like a praying grandma, like do not mess with a praying grandma. <laughs> like, cause there is a fierceness that I think is unmatched. Yeah. And I believe it comes in being a woman. Mm-hmm. And so it doesn't mean that you have to have babies to have this. I think it's how the Lord created us as women. 
There, there is just a fierce nurture, life giver, life carrier that is unmatched. And it doesn't matter if you say it. It doesn't matter what you do. It's who you are. And so just being confident in who the Lord has created you to be and let your light shine because it's um, you don't really actually need to do much for that to happen. Mm. It's just who you are. Oh, I feel like I'm going to look at Mount Shasta in a I whole know, new way now. It's majestic. Oh, yeah. It's fully majestic. It's so beautiful. I'm like, Lord, I see your majesty. Yeah. Like you are majestic because that's what you created and it mm. shines you. Mm. Yeah. It makes me want to like go to the top of Mount Shasta you and can. just be like, Ooh, I am girl, woman. That's a, that's a very intense hike. <laughs> yeah. We can do one of those like pictures from the back with like nothing on top, you know? And just, I feel like, like every other day of, you're asking us yeah. to do a photo yeah. like that. Like, if you're so going to do it, do it top of Mount Shasta. Topless photo on the top of Mount Shasta? Yeah. Yeah. You just um, have to get there first. <laughs> maybe last one. Last one would be Let's a little easier. <laughs> also more, but, po- more populated, so that'd be interesting. Oh, right. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So we'll be making a trip to Mount Shasta soon. <laughs> <laughs> Just got to get there. Just, uh, Won't be doing anything illegal to... there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> just public nudity. It is 14,000 feet to get to the top. Yeah, it's it a is lot. a lot. Have it's an intense mountain. I haven't. It's on my bucket list. Oh. Yeah. What? It, I mean, I love I, it would be amazing to climb that. Um, so to uh, as everyone has listened to you, I'm sure that they're all biting at the what is it bite gnawing at the bit chomping at the bit gnawing chomping i'm sure that our listeners are chomping at the bit to hear um some resources from you and how they can connect with you um and how they can also become as amazing as you are but <laughs> <laughs> so what are some resources that you would recommend to our listeners and then also how can they find you um, and follow along on this exciting journey you're on. <laughs> well, we just launched, actually, no, yes, we just launched our website, Studio at Green, oh, oh my gosh, <laughs> Studio, oh my gosh, <laughs> I think it's Studio Greenville. We'll um, link Studio it Greenville. no matter what down oh, that's below. that's a bad answer. <laughs> we are launching a church in, called Studio in Greenville, and yeah. we have a website coming. <laughs> yes, we'll link it no matter what. We'll get it. <laughs> and then resources. Gosh, I love resources. The main ones that have come, I thought about this, and um, definitely there's different podcasts, but books that have been impactful to me in this season. Uh, there's one we talk about race stuff. It's called One Blood, John Perkins. I don't know if mm-hmm. Tanasha brought that up, but when we transitioned out, Tanasha gave us this book, and um, on race stuff it is the most it's a simple um book that a man who actually has already lived his life has written is much more it's so valuable because some people write books out of passion and they have a theory um scripture and revelation so they write a book Uh, i really admire people and carries a different weight after they've lived their life and john Mm -hmm. perkins is an um has written a book that he has lived out and it's on uh, race in the church and it's called One Blood, and mm. I highly recommend that. We're going to have our founding community read it at studio. Nice. Um, I love anything that Erwin McManus puts out. That's just the creative juices of that man, and um, and even making um, just the gospel and truth uh, relevant and how it engages with culture. Mm. Uh, so Artists and Souls is probably one of his favorite books that I that I love. Uh, Chris Cruz, uh, this is a very mm. um, recent one, but mm-hmm. I think it's good because one of the things that I hear people say is like, how do you actually experience God? And what does actually your quiet time look like? Well, Chris Cruz, a pastor at Bethel, wrote pra- the 
practice of being with Jesus. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's or right. Like that. <laughs> and um, and it's just it's really a devotional, but it has these rhythms that and these questions to help us engage because I think that in life we're just used to being really busy and we can easily distract it or get into a go to like we need to do this this and this. And um, I believe that um, he sets people up for success to actually engage and receive mm-hmm. from the Lord and give. So the practice of being with Jesus I think is important. And then anything on emotional health I know that. Um, you know, people are so familiar with um, Brene Brown, but um, there is a, oh, Peter Scazzaro. He has a book on emotional. I had to write it down because um, I always get this title wrong. <laughs> um, emotional healthy spirituality. And I think it's just us as humans valuing not just what is like what is spiritual? Uh, we're humans. You can't actually dissect and say, oh, this part is our physical. This part is our emotional. This part is spiritual. But actually valuing it all, um, I think, is how we're going to get healthy and wholehearted. So I like that book as far as just um, just continuing to grow as healthy human beings. Mm. Well, yeah. So this is my favorite books in yeah. the season. Good list. It is. <laughs> yeah. No, I actually, I think you might be the first person to recommend like a devotional on our podcast, which yeah. is kind yeah. of wild um, because we've had so many like Christian figures on <laughs> and stuff. But um, I really, I'm not like a big devotional person. I usually find it hard to go through devotionals yeah. um, because they feel almost answering the questions. It just doesn't feel as genuine to me. Yeah. It's just mm-hmm. not the way I've usually functioned in my like time with God. But Chris Cruz's book is one that I feel like really um, was one that was actually helpful to me. Mm -hmm. Like it it genuinely brings you through those rhythms, like you said, and it it does devotional in a way that's pretty different from devotionals Mm -hmm. that I've Mm -hmm. seen before um, and is very intentional about uh, more than really like giving you information and saying, all right, answer questions about these. He's saying, spend time with God. And then what does God say about this? Mm. So, and then leadership. I talked a lot about leadership today and my passion for it. And obviously John Maxwell, one of his favorite, my favorite books of his is 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. I go back to that. It's one of those things like you can say that you do it and then you go back and read them like, how good have I done this in this last (laughs) season? It's just like we're always on a journey we can grow. So that is a go-to book for me. And when I'm doing any type of mentorship, I usually love to go through that book with people. Nice. Mm -hmm. Great. Mm -hmm. A little bonus. (laughs) Um, Awesome. Well, campus our time is ending and <laughs> it's so bittersweet <laughs> yeah. um but thank you so much for coming on and for talking to us and taking time out of your day like we are so privileged to be able to talk to you and i'm so excited for everyone to listen to this <laughs> um because you just drop so many great pieces of wisdom and um yeah I'm very excited for it. So thank you. <laughs> thank you. So fun to hang out with you ladies. I love what you're doing. Oh, oh, bless you and all that you're doing. <laughs> Go women. Yes. <laughs> Go women. <laughs> Top of Mount Shasta. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, anyways, uh, woman beings, thank you so much for listening today. Um, if you want to follow us, you can follow us on Instagram at woman being podcast. Uh, and then we also have our website, womanbeingcommunity.com. Uh, you can also find us on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on Stitcher, on YouTube, on basically anywhere. And, you know, if you feel a hankering, leave us a review. We would really love that. <laughs> um, that'll help other people get to listen to this and get to hear Candace's great wisdom and the wisdom of all of our other guests. Um, and yeah, that wraps it up for today's episode. Mm. We'll catch you guys next week. Bye. 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 <laughs>